Father Lord, in the name of your Son, Christ Yeshua, here we are again, my God, submitted to you, humbled by you, just looking to your glory and your majesty and your strength, my God, not to be in a religion called Christian, but to be a Christian, to be one with Jesus, to be the Holy One of Israel. And Father God, we know that that's the litmus test, that's the standard, and you hold us to that standard, and then you wash us by the blood that you present us to yourself as a radiant church without spot or blemish, washed by the word, and may we be continually washed, my God, until we are the Holy One of Israel. When they see us, may they see you. When they look upon us, may they cast their eyes upon you. May we be able to say, have I been with you so long? that you do not recognize me. We are called to be the Christ-like ones, the ones who are just like Christ. And so wherever we have fallen short of that glory, my God, we pray that you help us and that you purge us of all iniquity, that you help us to see ourselves at that standard, that you hold us to that standard. And then where we fall short of that standard, may you wash us by the blood of Jesus. May we not accept excuses. May we not accept explanations, but may it just be so, my God, in our in our mortal beings. And so we pray for forgiveness. We pray to be the light of the world. We pray, my God, that you exalt yourself in our lives. My God, that you show your supremacy in every area of our being. My God, even as we enter this day four of the wilderness experience, my God, may we be as Christ who wandered off in the desert, overflowed by the spirit, my God. And we know that in these, in these times, we will also be tested by the enemy. And when we pass that test so that we can enter into the next fullness and the next glory of the ministry that which you have assigned us. Father, we love you, but only because you first loved us. We love you only because you taught us what true love is by sending your son to die an unrighteous death, to be a curse for us, that he might take the curse off of us so that we might be with him in the glory. And so we thank you, my God. We ask that you move in the prophetic here this morning, Lord, that you move in the anointing of your Holy Spirit, my God. As Pastor Marcel likes to say, Lord, Make it easy, my God, to deliver this word. Make it easy by blocking our sinful nature and blocking our human consciousness so that we can flow in the immortal consciousness of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray, my God, and we ask for nothing less, my God, than absolute perfection in the spirit. We ask for nothing less than perfection in the spirit. You said be perfect even as your heavenly father is perfect. So by the blood and by your spirit, may it be so. Bless us, Lord, and help us to walk in your perfect peace. In Yeshua's mighty name, and the body of Christ says, can we get an amen in the house of God? Amen. 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 Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Good morning, saints. We're in day four. And for those who weren't here for day one, two, or three, maybe you listen to the recordings. We've just been looking at the wilderness. Why did God create the wilderness experience? What's the purpose of the wilderness experience? And so a quick recap until we go into something and expand on it more this morning. Um, he took the nation of Israel out of Egypt and he put them in the wilderness to give them their requirements, right? He needed their undivided attention. He needed to get them 
them alone. How many of you men, um, well, we do have some men on the line, amen, praise God, we have some women, we also have some men. When, you, when you're trying to get a woman's interest, you'd like to get her alone, right? You want to, you could be in a club, right? But when you're sitting there talking to her, it's just you and her. You, you try to get her alone, right? So that you can draw her attention, so that you can win her heart, so that you can woo her into your direction. And so God, in the nation of Israel, was called through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, and through the 12 sons, and ultimately now a nation, God was now ready to wed his bride. Think it not sacrilegious to say this, because it was his plan from Genesis 3.15. It was his plan, right, that he would bear a son, and the son would bring salvation. And so this bride, this nation of Israel, he led out into the desert so that he could get a, her retention, so that he could get her completely focused on him. And so as God, though being a husband prophetically as a God, he expected to be respected. He expected his sovereignty to be respected. He ex expected his requirements to be followed. He expected his standards to be accepted and followed. And so Moses went up on that mountain, right? And he went up there to get those requirements. And the nation of Israel, a wayward woman, right? Drifted away in the mind and in her heart. She started thinking about her ex-husband, the one that used to beat her up all the time, the one that used to put her down all the time, the one that used to abuse her all the time. And she wanted to go back to him because she didn't know where this new husband was. And of course, they didn't see it from that perspective at the time, but God did. And so God said, go back down there, Moses, because these people have already begun to defile themselves. And so when he came back down, he gave those requirements, right? He, he, he decided to give them requirements and, and he gave them the 10 commandments, which ultimately, he ultimately gave them the full mosaic law, right? 630 some odd edicts of the law he gave them. And these were his house rules and these were his requirements. And the people heard the requirements. And when they first heard them, they said, it is well with us. These are good requirements. We shall obey them. We agree. And they formed a covenant with the Lord. It was a marriage covenant, though they didn't completely understand that at, a time, at the time. And God was faithful to that marriage, even though she betrayed him on many occasions, right? And she went after other husbands. Hallelujah. And we know about that from all the writings of all the prophets. But God remained faithful. And so we've been covering that for day one, day two, day three, and how that wilderness experience also has to do with us, the church as a whole, right? Because Christ is, in a sense, he's wooed us away from the world and brought us into a wilderness and has separated us as a special bride for himself. Amen. Hallelujah. And I say a special bride, but really, as it pertains to human existence, the only bride for himself. Amen. Praise God. And so then we covered that through day one, day two, and day three. And we also personalize it because he's also, as a part of the Christ, wooing you individually. You have your individual wilderness experiences that you go through in order to gain that greater level of intimacy. That's what God desires, that great level of intimacy, that intimacy he had in the garden where he used to come 
and fellowship with you during the cool of the day. Think it not sacrilegious in this wedding, in this marriage to Christ. Think it not sacrilegious that I say to you, God is calling you to be the Holy One of Israel. For do not the two become one flesh. And so if the two become one flesh, then the church being the bride of Christ would then be one with Christ, and the church being one with Christ would then become the Holy One of Israel. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And so you say, but I don't feel like the Holy One of Israel. I don't always act like the Holy One of Israel. Well, there's where the blood of Jesus comes in. See, we can't, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta set the standard and then cry out for mercy holiness, forgiveness, sanctification, intimacy, oneness, deliverance. We got to cry out for those things. If we set the bar too low, then we won't cry out too much, right? Because we're measuring ourselves against ourselves. And in comparison to other people, I'm doing much better. In comparison to how I was yesterday, I'm doing much better. So then there's no real need to cry out, right? Because I'm doing better. Look at me. But if we set the standard, I am the Holy One of Israel. Then when we do things that are not the Holy One of Israel, when we carry ourselves in ways that are not in alignment with the Holy One of Israel, when we have attitudes, opinions, or heart conditions that are not full of light, but are full of darkness, and, are, and it's not the Holy One of Israel, then we got to cry out now because there's something wrong. I'm not going to accept this condition. I'm not going to be still with this condition because I was called to be one with Christ, the Holy One of Israel. And so then you're also going to have mercy with others when you see your flaws. Some people think, oh, my flaws, my flaws, my flaws, always my flaws. You're such a, it's so depressing all the time. You want to talk about my flaws. Oh, but your flaws are actually your glory. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Your flaws are your glory because your flaws is what causes you to cry out for Jesus. Your flaws keep you from being conceited, keep you from being egotistical, keep you from being self-consumed, right? Your flaws, right, is what keeps you on your face. Your flaws is what keeps you on your knees. Your flaws are what keep you crying out. And then mysteriously, while you're crying out for healing for your flaws and not taking any credit for your victories, not taking any personal credit for the things that are great about you, but only spending your time humbling yourself in revelation of where you've fallen short of the absolute glory. Mysteriously, what happens is other people start seeing you shine. Other people start saying, wow, you have this anointing upon you. Wow, you have this glow on you. Wow, there's a certain grace that moves with your spirit. You don't see it because you're spending all your time in brokenness, realizing that you're not yet completely Jesus. And since you're spending all your energy on that, you really don't see this glow they're talking about. You don't see this anointing they're talking about. You don't see this glory they're talking about. You don't see this, this, this grace of the spirit that's upon you that they're talking about. And the reason why you don't see it is because it's not you they're seeing. It's Jesus they're seeing. And the reason why they're seeing Jesus is because you're spending all your time crying out for mercy. 
And God says, with the broken and contrite, I cannot turn aside. And I, I, I can't turn my heart away from broke, the broken and contrite. When you come to him, no matter how bad you were, no matter what bad thing, you, if you come in genuine brokenness and contrition, God says, I cannot, my spirit cannot turn aside from that. I must answer to that. I must abide with that person. I abide with them because they're ruthlessly honest with themselves. They walk in the truth of their condition. And it's not even completely their fault because you were born in that condition. You were born without the Holy Spirit. You were born with an independent thought process that didn't walk in community with God. And you ultimately had to be saved. And you ultimately had to die to that person so that you could be reborn in Christ. But even though you're reborn in Christ, the sinful nature still hovers around. And so by walking in the revelation of your mortal condition, the truth of your mortal condition, not just highlighting your good spots and then just sort of taking your bad spots and shoving them under the rug there. No, you're spending all your time under the rug. It's sort of like cleaning your house, right? If you focus on the details, the, the house will look clean, right? If you, if you say, oh, I got to clean up under this rug and oh, I got to clean. See, now you can make the house look good, right? By hiding dirt and by doing a quick wipe over, right? But something might give away there might be a smell that gives it away or maybe when somebody touches something then they realize okay this ain't really clean or somehow you like to, it just doesn't have the same sparkle but when you start cleaning a house from the root i mean from every crevice from under the rugs from it and you could all of a sudden there's a smell there's a certain appearance a certain aura that comes with the, the attention to detail. And when you pay attention to detail to your soul and to your heart, and you get wooed away into the wilderness, and you start dwelling and being self-reflective and really looking at the true nature of yourself and being ruthlessly honest and taking a ruthless moral inventory of your actual life condition, it's not depressing in the spirit. A glory starts to show, a, a, certain, a certain modesty comes over you, a certain love, a certain grace comes over you, a certain kindness, a certain compassion. These are the beautiful things in God. Hallelujah. And so when God came down to give them the law, remember, God is omnipotent. He knows the beginning, the past, the future. He knows everything, okay? He knew that they weren't going to be able to completely follow the law. And they were like, oh, yes, this is a great law. We're going to follow it. And the only way they would have been successful at even coming close to following it is if they spent night and day crying out to the Lord, night and day crying out to the Lord, help us, Lord, with this heart condition that we have that often wants to go astray. Help us, Lord. And the Lord would see their brokenness and contrition, and he would abide with them. And even though they weren't entitled to the indwelling spirit until Christ, the, 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 the Shekinah, would have nurtured them into the glory. And there were some that did find favor with God, like Samuel, King David, even with his mistakes. There were some that found favor with the Lord because of their brokenness, contrition, and submission. But the majority struggled because they thought that they could obey a law or they could obey the rules without crying out to their husband, without seeking his approval, without humbling herself before him, without walking with a gentle, quiet spirit in mildness and in awe of her mate. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. And so he took them into the wilderness 
to woo his bride to himself, to draw her attention, to draw her heart, to draw her love and her compassion. But he was let down. She didn't give it to him. She was often willing to give it to another. And so it also is our condition today, yes, in the spirit realm. We're called to be the Holy One of Israel, to be in awe of the personality of Jesus, to be in awe of his character, of his nature, in awe of his personage, to be deeply in love with him, like as with no other. Right? That's what marriage is about, right? That's what a bride is about, to walk with him with a gentle, quiet spirit, to imitate his character, his ways, his his emotions, his style, to just marvel and glory in all that is him. And then through that brokenness and contrition and that revelatory state and condition, he could not turn aside from you. He could not separate. He would jealously defend you. He would jealously protect you. He would jealously abide with you. He would stand by you. How about the woman who cried with tears onto the feet of Jesus and wiped the tears away with her hair, cleaning his feet? How about the woman with the alabaster jar of perfume poured it over his body to anoint him for his burial? How about Mary at the tomb in tears because she thought someone had taken away his body? But when she saw him, she went, Rabboni! See, so this is going to get past all of our knowledge of religion. It's going to get past all of our belief systems about what it means to be religiously Christian. And now this is getting deep, right? This is getting deep. How emotionally connected are we to the bride as part of the bride and then ultimately as the bride connected to the husband, the son, Christ Yeshua. Hallelujah. And so he's drawing us away during this season, during this wilderness season, this 40 days courtship, 40 days of courtship, where he's drawing our attention, where he's wooing us away, where he's trying to get our focus above the focus of everybody else and everything else so that he can make you just like him, the Holy One of Israel. Hallelujah. And so he's drawing us away. And Moses came down with the Ten Commandments, but Yeshua came down with the Beatitudes. And in the Beatitudes, when you read them, when you go through them, there's this love that comes out of them. Love for everyone, your enemies, your friends, strangers, aliens, loved ones, unloved ones. There's this love that comes out of these Beatitudes. And that's what makes you the Holy One of Israel. 
And so we are not going to belabor that. You can do that on your time. The scriptures are right there. I encourage everybody in this season to reread Matthew 5, 1 through 7, chapter 7, verse 27. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through chapter 7, verse 27. Read each one individually and ask yourself, is this me? Am I poor in spirit? Do I mourn to be comforted? Am I meek? Do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? Am I merciful? Am I pure in heart? Hallelujah. Am I a peacemaker? Do I feel blessed when I'm persecuted for righteousness sake? Do I love my enemies? Am I the salt and the light of the earth? Hallelujah. In fact, this is such a deep part of the movement of God that it's his first sermon. And so, like I said, we're not going to belabor it because you could read it. But what I'm going to read to you today is how one apostle took the meaning of the Beatitudes. We're in 1 John. And we're going to start in verse 5 of 1 John 1. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. This is Apostle John. He was there when Christ gave the Sermon on the Mount. and He was there to be an eyewitness experience of the three and a half years of Christ's ministry on earth. And he basically is saying here that the teachings of Christ are the light and anything else is darkness. And if you do not walk in the teaching, then you are not in him because you're in the darkness. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, if we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now, if we claim we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys the word, God's love truly is made complete in him. And this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. You are called to be the Holy One of Israel. Dear friends, now I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have since the, since you've had since the beginning this old command is the message you have heard yet i am writing you a new command its truth is seen in him and in you 
because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. And whoever loves his brother lives in the light. And there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness and he does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. I write you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the father. I write to you, Father, because you have known him, him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. And do not love the world or anything in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful men, the lustfulness of the eyes and the boastfulness of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires are passing away, but the man who does the will of God will live forever. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have already come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Do not write you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? Is it not the man who denies Jesus Christ? Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. And if it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he has promised us, even eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you have received from him remains in you. You do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as he has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is, excuse me, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right is born from him. The apostle John was writing these scriptures, and he was trying to minister to a church who was otherwise getting pulled away into some sort of religious observances that didn't uh, cause the abiding of the love of the Beatitudes. See, not only are we called to obey the Beatitudes, we're called to love the Beatitudes because Christ is the word that became flesh. So his words are like his flesh. And his words are one with him. He's not like man that says one thing and does another or says they'll do something and doesn't do it. But everything he says, nothing he says, hits the ground. Everything he says stands. And so his words and him are one. And so the Beatitudes are his words. And so his Beatitudes are him. And so if you do not have them, you do not have him. And if you do not have him, then you do not have the father either.
You see that? And so he was, there are those who are trying to lead you astray, to lead you into an antichrist state. But let us remember that those who obey him, follow his teachings, abide in him, and love as he loved. And how did he love? He loved so much that he gave his life for the world, that the world might have hope. And not just for individual, not just for the anointed in the world, but for the whole world, even the wicked. And this is why he says, love your enemies and turn the other cheek and pray for those who persecute you. And to understand that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against demonic principalities that operate in high places. Anyone who is one with this word is one with him. And anyone who is not one with this word still walks in darkness. And so as the Lord woos us away from our natural condition, and he woos us into becoming the Holy One of Israel, how are we doing at keeping our eyes focused on the callous pieces of our heart? How are we doing? Are we standing around admiring how wonderfully mature we are? Are we standing around relishing in the growth that we've experienced? Or are we diligently looking for and searching our hearts for any pebbles or stones or calluses that God might excavate them? I tell you the truth, amongst the anointed, the glory of God cannot be missed. While you spend your time reflecting on how you need to repent in the areas of your life that call for it, the glory of God will shine through you and the anointed of God will see it. You don't do it for that purpose, but there is a testimony that you are called to leave this world, that the church has not died and that Christ is not dead, but he's alive. You are his ambassadors to his existence. But he's not looking for an ambassador that just pronounces his existence. He's looking for the ambassador that lives the truth of his existence. So that there's a testimony before you even speak, before you even say something. One day, and I'm not saying this to impress you, I'm saying this to impress upon you the truth of this point. One day, as I was out doing some deliveries, I went and I parked my bike to go in a building and a woman asked me, I never saw this woman before in my life. I never met her before. She said, are you a pastor? And I looked back at her and I said, yes, I'm a pastor. I'm an apostle. She said, I could tell something just, there's a spirit on you. There's a man, there's just, there's an anointing on you. At the time that she was saying that, I was reflecting on all of my flaws and all of the places where I'd fallen short and all of the places where I wasn't really on point and all of the mistakes that I had made and all of the consequences that I was facing because of all of the mistakes that I had made and how foolish I was to have done so many of these different things. I was in a time of self-reflection. I wasn't, you know, with this big shiny, you know, tie on and a big cheery smile and the, the no, <laughs> it could easily be said that I was in a state of mourning, that I was poor in spirit, broken, but yes, contrite. And with the broken and contrite, the spirit of God cannot resist. And so 
trust me in this because I am a living witness of it. I testify to it. If you spend your time focusing on repenting, all the glory of God will always shine through you. It's sort of like an indirect response to a direct action. You take the direct action of walking in brokenness and contrition, and the indirect response is God's glory will shine through you. And so he wooed his bride into the desert, said, I did not choose you because you were the greatest of people. I didn't choose you because you were the best tribe of men. In fact, you might have been the least. And that's why I chose you, that my glory would be seen through you. I didn't pick you because you had the biggest army, the smartest army, the strongest army. I didn't pick you because you were the most numerous of people. I didn't pick you because you had a superior culture, superior mind, or superior DNA. In fact, you might have had the least of all these things. You were afraid to go to war. You were afraid to fight. You were afraid to band together as a, as a, as a nation to go to, to, to battle. Yet I made you the most powerful nation in the world. Nobody could testify to any reason other than that you had a powerful God. And so too, as disciples of Christ Yeshua, if you vow to come in brokenness and contrition, vowing to know nothing but Christ crucified, that the cross itself might not be emptied of its power, then the glory of God will shine through you. And the fruitfulness of God will manifest in you. And the glory of God will show to all those who need this testimony. And you will be an ambassador of Christ. And you will be the living witness that Jesus is alive. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your special name among men. We thank you, my God, for everything that you do to bring us forward. We ask for forgiveness of sin. We ask for the fullness of your glory to be manifest in us. And we pray that you bless the saints through the day, my Lord, that they might be able to come back to this place from time to time in the spirit of knowing that you're the one that's covering them. I pray against all fear, anxiety. I pray against all doubt and worry. I pray against all darkness, lovelessness. I pray against every insecurity. I pray against fear of righteousness. And I pray, Father God, that everyone rises up here and represents the Holy One of Israel. And I pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And the body of Christ says, can we get an amen in the house of the Lord? Amen. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Have a great morning, saints. You all too.